It is 4.03 on the 8th of November. I'm actually headed to Bobby's office on Saturday night now to pick up my pillows and my clothes and shave kit and all that stuff and officially move out of Bobby's office until and unless God tells me different. I've been waiting since Wednesday night and I've felt just a peace that entered my heart that night and I don't feel like the Lord's been telling me no every time I've thought about it and I feel like I've given him plenty of chance to to let me know and I've been staying in the house today and I've never had a peace and now I have a, a peace about moving in there. Well, I um, just heard in regards to the Laura thing, I just heard, I uh, listened to Charles Stanley message on confronting closed doors and it was so what I'm going through and it was very, very encouraging to listen to and I actually thank the Lord for allowing me to listen to it again. And something that occurs to me is I got on the my knees and thank God because I thought, man, the fact that he showed me that 919 three times to let me know, don't contact her, don't move ahead yet, that's indicative that God is still with me, still speaking to me. It was clear and I had no peace. Once he showed me that, I had no peace about being able to send a message to her. No matter how right I wanted to do it, no matter how justified I could have been in doing it, I decided I was going to obey and I I think I sulked for a couple hours plus I'm a little tired. So I think I've had a couple of bad hours and felt down and started working on the the new ending for losing everything to find it all and listening to that joy and I'm like where was that joy at? You know, just uh, 2 days ago. And now where is it? You know, and so I'm like, "Come on, Michael." So I started thinking, "You know what? God knows best." He's testing me. I'm not giving up my faith in my Lord. He, I still believe he has great plans for me. I still believe that he's going to give me Laura, my wife, somehow. And maybe I've misunderstood. And I'm not going to get too caught up in worrying about it. I'm just going to trust him and just going to endure through the day and continue to trust him that he knows what he's doing. And I feel that he went out of his way to make it to where when I pulled in that parking lot, it was 919. When I walked into the house, there were two blazing 919s. And that was to keep me to stay put. And that to me must mean he still has plans on doing something spectacular. And um, instead of being disappointed, I'm going to keep my hope fixed on what, what will come when this door does open. I'm very tired today, but I'm feeling better. I'm definitely feeling better and not so down. I'm just going to trust God, keep clinging, clinging in faith, and recognize this is probably a good test in my faith and help me identify with people that, that quit or that don't hear from God and all kinds of good stuff will probably come out of this. Romans 8, 8, uh, 8.31. I'm sorry. That shows you how tired I am. Romans 8.38. I just moved all my stuff out of Bobby's office. There was uh, some ladies upstairs having a baby shower from one of the ladies that works there. And I was able to get everything out. It was quite a bit of stuff. Two giant big black garbage bags of backpack and then another backpack full of stuff and a couple of arm carries. And um, I started thinking, I realized that here today is the 8th of of November and I moved out on the 8th of July that's four months to the day it seems to me that 
most of what God is doing in my life, I got to keep remembering this, <clears throat> that he's doing things like to the exact day, like nine months to the day that I opened the gym, it closed. Nine months to the day. Nine months to the day that I fully surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, my wife left me and, you know, just divorced me. I mean, nine months to the day, divorced me. And so now today, four months to the day, I'm getting to move back in a house my parents bought that has been open for several months and I've, the Lord has not allowed me to move in and I've ministered to a few people at Bobby's office that I would not have had I not been living anywhere else. My faith was certainly tested and I continued to obey and there was something very humbling about living, you know, not in a home and not having a shower and being so thankful to be able to have a sink to wash my face in and washing my head and a sink, shampooing my hair in a sink every day and, you know, having to take kind of washcloth showers, baths, if you will. And, and, uh, so anyhow, I just, it feels pretty interesting that I'm leaving the day that I left four months later. And, um, it feels good. It feels good. I'm not elated because mostly I've been filled with thoughts about, you know, the whole Laura thing and all that. So, but it definitely feels good and I have an increasing sense of peace in my heart. I know that God wants me to continue to work on memorizing the teachings and getting videos out and stuff. So I'm just going to put myself back full effort into doing what he's telling me to do. Tomorrow will be the first night that I wake up um, not homeless in four months where I actually am going to have my own shower and my own towel and my own drawers to put my stuff in and you know that's that's a that's a blessing that is I gotta say that's a blessing it's got food in the refrigerator my mom's been putting food in there and so I'm I'm sure my mom's gonna be very happy to have me living in that house I am very thankful so just wanted to capture this. This is my very first recording on my new iPhone, which I'm very thankful to have after over a year and maybe two months without having a phone. I finally have one. It's November 15th, 2014, and I'm having a, a less than joy-filled morning. I'm not in crisis by any means, but I'm definitely feeling a little bit discouraged this morning as I reflect on now two times that have passed where I thought for sure that I heard from God that God was going to allow me to meet Laura. I'm so guilty for wanting to see God do extraordinary things and fantasizing about the possibilities. I really do. And then when they don't happen, it can be a crushing blow and I knew to not get myself overly you know hope hopeful and optimistic about it and I put it back in the Lord's hand and I said Lord I'm going to trust you no matter what and I will I'll continue to trust him but I'm I'm having that moment where I'm like wow God how much how much longer is it going to be and if I um you know being very transparent there are moments where um 
feel bad saying this, but it's the truth, so I want to say it. But there are moments where I'm struck with just a stark terror of I may never know the closeness and the love and the intimacy and a sexual relationship with a woman ever again. I have these moments where it's just a terror that comes upon me because, you know, I picked up a book last night by Chip Ingram called Love, Sex, and Relationships. And of course, it it got my attention and he was talking about how God wired us so strong for those desires to have love, sex, and relationships. And I've sometimes felt bad because as a man, I do desire to have sex. It is a a big part of intimacy for me and I have you know, longed to be able to have that experience with my future wife in addition with many other aspects of the relationship. But it seems like sometimes I've been celibate, completely celibate now for two and a half years, basically. And sometimes, I mean, I've been so content for so long, but there's these moments where I felt like I was closer and closer to the dream of being able to have a relationship and not just so that I can begin to have sex. No, not at all. That being an aspect that I very much desire, that closeness, that warmth, the intimacy, the raw intimacy of being so comfortable that you're willing to be completely naked with somebody else, but also to be spiritually naked and emotionally naked is equally important to me. I would not want the one without the other. In fact, it's more important for me to have an open heart. But the sex part is very important to me. I definitely desire it. It's definitely... Not something I obsess about at all, but it's a desire. It's a good desire that God has placed in me. And I think sometimes when I think about, you know, what if, what if I never get to have a wife again? What if, you know, and I never have, and and that's just a terrifying moment that, that, that there are moments where it just feels terrifying. Like I can't even think about that. And I think it's a fear that I have. I think it's probably one of my biggest fears. And Then I say, well, no, wait a second, Michael, you've gone two and a half years without even, you know, so much as masturbating. And so you could continue to do this with God's help and God's grace. And yet I know I could, but what becomes terrifying is I feel like, let me rephrase this. I would not be so anxious for my relationship with Laura if I didn't feel like God had gone out of his way so much to promise me to her, rather promise her to me. The thing that's so disappointing is that I felt for sure that God was telling me that on the 777th day, he was going to give me the desire of my heart. And when it didn't happen, man, there's a pain, there's a an emptiness, there's a a sense of disillusionment, a sense of, oh my gosh, did I hear God wrong? Did I do something wrong? I mean, you you begin to question all kinds of things. And I think I'm at least far enough down the road to recognize that I've read of other people's stories and I understand the principle that, you know, God rarely answers prayers on the day people want Him to. And you have to continue to have faith and continue to believe. And sometimes I wonder with this situation... You know, how much longer am I going to be able to wait? And um, I, I I get afraid of that sometimes. I think when I feel what I feel in the moment, not realizing that tomorrow will be a better day. There'll be better news that comes, something that will lift my joy. God will sustain me by His grace. That I'll be able to continue to wait. But sometimes it feels like, how much longer can I wait? And I I feel like 
Maybe God is using this to work out some additional anxieties or additional desires in me that are sifting my motives more, testing my faith more. It's very possible. The other thing that's so disheartening to me is I sent my ex-wife an email a week ago, uh, Monday, just this past Monday, about, will you please let me have the kids for Christmas uh, rather than Thanksgiving since you didn't let me have them for the summer, and she's not replied. I gave her two new phone numbers. She's not had the kids call me at all on my cell phone or at um, the house. And, you know, I just, I've been praying and believing for her heart to change for so long. And that gets wearisome. It does. It gets wearisome when you see a woman who's so committed to just being evil and trying to hurt you, you know, nonstop and using your kids against you. I mean, it hurts more now. Um, I've gotten used to it, but it still hurts more now because I'm just getting to where I, I, I miss my children so much, you know. I had to, I have to not even think about it sometimes because... I I don't want to just be overwhelmed with grief. But she's not replying to me, and I know that it's only a matter of time before I get the email that, you know, Michael, I've thought about it, and it's in the kid's best interest. It's one of those, you know, you've got a mental illness, and you're sick, and you're crazy, and all of that, just like for summertime when she denied me being able to see him on summer. I'm going to get that email here in a couple of days, and, you know, it's possible. I mean, I'm not saying that, that, God couldn't do something totally different and say, you know, Michael, I've thought about it. Yeah, you can have them for Christmas. That would be such an answer to prayer. And it would bless me so much to have my children up here. But, you know, there's also that part of me that's terrified because I wanted so much to believe that I would be able to have some sort of a connection to Laura this Christmas season. I've been alone now in Christmas uh, Really, I only had a girlfriend one time, uh, Jill, and um, for Christmas season, and that was kind of that was somewhat nice. But I've been alone, you know, for the last man. I mean, my wife wasn't even present in our marriage in the last two years of it, so it's been a long time—six years or so—that I haven't had a good family Christmas, and I've wanted so bad. I've dreamt of being able to do Christmas stuff with, with Laura. And, um, I, I do start to feel sorry for myself. I do. I do. I am most days just filled with joy and, uh, and I look at the fruit. The only thing that's keeping me going is the fruit that God is, is, uh, is doing in my life with other people. You know, I mean, that's that's really what I'm living on. I mean, I have this house now, which is great. I have a place to live. I'm so thankful for it. I am. But it's not what I want. It's like a person has only ever wanted to have, you know, a certain steak. And you offer them a McDonald's hamburger. And then you offer them a Hardy's hamburger. And they're just like, yeah, thank you for the food. But it's not what I've been, my heart has been set on. And my heart has been set on seeing awesome fruit in the ministry. Having Laura as my wife and my soulmate and my life partner. And having my kids in my home. And, um... You know, none of it's happening, really. Everything is still just barely getting by, although yesterday, incidentally, I received two in the same day. Um, 
potentials for groups to do the book. My friend Gustavo has a group of 20 people down in Florida that are thinking about about it. And then I have a friend, Tom, who bought a book yesterday, and he's thinking about asking his guys to go through it and to maybe buy books for them. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with all this. But there are these moments where I, I definitely need to go to the mountain today and pray and spend time in the Lord's presence. I keep seeing 811 and 701 a lot, and I wonder, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I somewhat dread it, and yet I do it, but memorizing all the teachings of Christ, and I think to myself, is God delaying in my life because of my disobedience? And I feel like I'm giving everything I have to to the best of my abilities to, I mean, I can only just sit and memorize stuff for so long before my brain would want to explode. I'm working so hard on you know, doing the 313 and the daily videos and getting that going. And today I have to reinstall all the software on my laptop. I'm not looking forward to that at all. And my software is having a problem. And so I'm going to have to do that. And today is a tough day. I feel that longing. I feel that proverb that hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life, and I, I feel like my heart is sick a little bit today. And, you know, I want so bad to believe that Laura is a reality in my life. She is the greatest earthly desire of my heart, literally. Her and the next is having my children in my home and being able to have more time with them. You know, if they can't be in my home. But she represents to me the greatest evidence of God's restoration and redemption in the specific death that I faced in this life where my ex-wife left me and, and set about literally trying to destroy me and to destroy, destroy any relationship I have with my kids. For me to have Laura to come into my life in a providential way where I didn't manipulate circumstances or try to make it happen. And I've been so tempted to reach out to her or reach out to her friend Jennifer or, you know, try to happen to be at one place where she, I mean, I've, I've been so tempted to want to go that route and start researching it. And then God just shuts me down and says, no, wait, trust. You know, I have had people say, you need to contact her. And God tells me, just wait. And so the thing I'm having to wrestle with now is, have I completely heard God wrong about Laura since I was really convinced that it was on the 777th day and I finally was going to have a relief, a wait. The end of my wait was gone, that something refreshing was finally going to happen. Yes, I'm glad to be in this house, but this is not my heart's desire. You know, my heart's desire was to be with, to be with Laura. And um, so I feel somewhat like that hopeless romantic, I guess, right now. And, you know, I don't want to spend time not enjoying my singleness because I know it's not all going to be, you know, a bowl of cherries. But I don't know. My heart is definitely feeling sick. And I'm going to pray today that, that God will do something to restore my hope, to believe that He is this good God because... I've seen him do lots of little things. I've seen his handprint, as uh, one woman recently 
stated in an article. I've seen his handprint in all kinds of things, but I'm ready to see the parting of the Red Sea. I'm ready to believe God for the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I want to know. That will help me to know truly who God is versus the old covenant, new new covenant that we're under. I will have so, so much of a better understanding through experience of God's ways. I um, I cling to the hope of the the messages I hear from Charles Stanley about, you know, God wants to bless you, wants to give you His best, but you have to position yourself to receive it, and you have to wait for His timing, and you have to have faith, absolute assurance and conviction that He'll do these things. And then I think about what I'm going through now where I could easily slip into you know what, maybe we're just not supposed to have anything good in this life. Maybe I'm never going to have marriage again. Maybe I'll never have sex ever again for the rest of my life with a woman who loves me. Maybe I'll never be loved. Maybe no one will ever come up to me in the kitchen and and give me a hug from behind and kiss me on my cheek or hold my hand in the car or, you know, say, baby, let's go sit down and read the Bible together or come snuggle with me on the couch or maybe none of those things will ever happen for me again. And... I think about that, and that's a scary thought. It is. I mean, I know that God could sustain me through it, but and I know that there's more to life than that. But, you know, that there's that part of you that's so bad wants to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And God has been so good to me in fruit and other ways which have brought me great joy. Food that lasts. But I do feel like I'm having to suffer an awful lot, and I think to myself... You know, Paul says, if we suffer, it is for your comfort. You know, that we became poor so that you could become rich. And I think to myself, that is kind of what I feel like I'm experiencing. But I still have this hope that God will look and say, Michael's had enough. Michael's had enough. We've, we've, we've allowed a heavy hand against him for a long time. It's time that Michael sees our goodness and that he can help other people to understand my ways and help other people to endure through the dark seasons, cling to some goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, but his ultimate goodness forever. And I think sometimes I'm even guilty of thinking too much about goodness in the here and now versus primarily what Jesus teaches is goodness that comes after and that we have to endure this difficult, trying life and not live with one unmet expectation after another. I mean, to me, the greatest killer of hope is unmet expectations when we place expectations of what we want to see happen on other people or even in this life and our circumstances. And then when they don't happen, it is a crushing blow and we begin to question God's goodness. And sometimes, you know, we have to say, did did we come up with those expectations or did God? And that's the thing that's such a struggle with me about the Laura thing is that I feel like God has made it abundantly clear, abundantly clear that she is the one that he has chosen for me. And it seems impossible that it will ever happen. I've waited so long and now this two windows of the possible 777-day answer to my prayer have come and gone. And 
I'm left with what now? You know, I just keep putting one foot in front of the other, keep finishing the work that God's asking me to do and ask Him for His grace and to refresh my spirit because a man can't accomplish much when he's in despair or a man can't accomplish much when he's, you know, heart sick. And I feel like today my heart is a little sick for sure. And I'll just trust that there'll be better days ahead and that God will be good and that I can just endure with His help. It's 7.25 on November 17th, 2014. I was reading some of the Psalms this morning and my heart just began to be sick as I told the Lord, Father, please do not hold up things in my life, Laura, my children, the ministry, because of my lack of ability to memorize the teachings like he's asked me to do. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I've mentioned it probably a hundred times. It's so hard for me to just sit and just memorize. I so much want to be doing something productive. And I have been so convicted about this so many times, and I feel like it's affecting my relationship with the Lord now. I feel like he's distancing himself, and I feel like he's showing me that he's holding up things in my life as a result and I just keep justifying it saying okay well I did it for 15 minutes today and it's just been so hard it's like I'm caught in this trap and I have other responsibilities things I need to do and I'm trying to memorize the word I'm trying to carry it with me but it is no doubt the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life period end of story and I'm getting frustrated about it I'm getting frustrated because I'm just not good at memorizing and I don't even have the attention span hardly to memorize. And I confessed it to the Lord and I said, Lord, please do not hold back my kids because I'm sinning against you in this way of not obeying your commands. Please have mercy upon me. Please, God, bring relief. I now feel like, I feel like now that I've probably delayed so long getting this done, God has delayed so long in doing things he's done, I'm running out of gas. Meaning I'm the pressure is more and more and I'm feeling less and less good and I'm feeling more distance with him and it's really been bothering me and every time I pray it comes up I mean it's it is consuming me it is it is de- definitely robbing me with my joy and then I'm almost feeling resentment like great I got to stop trying to read your word and have one-on-one time with you so that I can go do this to-do list but yet that's me grumbling against the lord He's asking me to do this. And he's disciplining me. I I know I get up from the table to go warm my coffee up. It's 722. And I'm like, all right, Lord, what does that mean? What does the 722 mean? Well, I look up the word in my thing of numbers because it's a number I've seen before. It's Jeremiah 722 speaking to the Israelites. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and you will walk in all the way which I command you, that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but they walked in their own counsels, and in their own stubbornness of their own evil heart, and went backward, not forward. And I think it's becoming obvious, painfully obvious, that 
The Lord is demanding more from me in this than what I've been giving him. The one or two here and there is just not cutting it. And so I'm going to try the best I can today to show my Lord that I mean serious business about trying to memorize it. It's hard, but if the world were coming to an end and he asked me to build an ark, would I quit or just do three sticks a day and say, Oh Lord, it's just too hard for me. I think this is probably my greatest sin against the Lord so far. And for some reason, I haven't realized the importance of it. I haven't realized that when the God of the universe tells you to do something, even if it's this small, seemingly, okay, well, yeah, I'm kind of doing that every day, it doesn't mean I can say, oh, but reading the good, reading the word is a good alternative. And this is definitely my biggest weakness. This is, I think, one of my biggest areas of failure in the eyes of the Lord. And I have got to know that He is merciful and I have got to try to change this. I have got to try to force myself to get the rest of these words in my heart. I, I, I don't think I could look at the Lord and say, Father, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. I can't do it and have Him say, Oh, okay, well, at least you tried. He knows I'm capable of it if He's asking me to do it. And, I mean, there's a peace inside of me that says, Yes, you need to do this and that God is holding up everything until I get this done. I think I need to put just a full force effort into getting this done. Show God diligence in this. I need to be spending hours a day doing this, not, you know, 15 minutes. And I feel, I feel like, almost like I know that place where you could say, ah, just forget it. Just go back on and just live a life of mediocrity. It's too hard to try to obey the Lord in this. I feel that temptation, how people might feel when they're in a sin and they just go, I forget it. I've tried a hundred times to stop and I, I just can't. I feel bad about this. I feel like the Lord is making it clear to me that it will go well with me if I obey what He commanded. And I have always thought, well, Lord, I'm not sinning. Lord, I'm forgiving everybody. Lord, I'm serving everybody. Lord, I'm giving up my life. I'm doing all these things, but yet... Those are the words in Jesus I'm obeying, but I'm not obeying His personal word to me. The 701s, the 811s, finish the work, store up my word in your heart. I'm not obeying Him in that, and because it doesn't seem like a high urgency task, seems like something you do casually as a Christian, but God has a reason for telling me to memorize it. And I'm now under full conviction, and it's my prayer that God will help me stay convicted and zealous to finish this and that I may see that it will go well with me. I feel like the good news is, is God is saying, if you do this, it will go well with you. But it's possible that God is holding up everything, Laura, my kids, ministry fruit, finances, everything as a result of this. So no more Bible study for me this morning. I'm just going to do nothing but memorize. (laughs) And just as I looked up this Just as I ended the screen, it was 7.01. That's the very scripture. I mean, thank you, Lord. So after this morning feeling so convicted about needing to continue to memorize the scriptures and how I feel like things are being held up by it, I just had a, uh, a deep revelation. I was listening to a message by Charles Stanley called A Pure Heart Part Two. And, of course, he's talking about that in order for us to experience God's best, we have to have a pure heart. Do we want God's best? Do we want to see Him showing up in our life 
so forth and so on. You got to have a pure heart. You got to clean yourself up. And how do you do that? You get in the Word of God. That the Word of God is like soap. It's amazing because this is the exact analogy that Pastor Jimmy Jackson was saying last night. I mean, he was explaining that, you know, if I went days without taking a bath, I'd get all dirty and nasty. Well, how many people have gone weeks without getting in the Word of God and cleaning the dirt from the day and the grind from the world off of them? And so, Stanley was showing these passages, and it's funny because I'm starting to see the connections between where Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you in John 15, 3. And then when Peter says, you have purified yourselves by obeying the word of truth. So the word of God is what cleanses us. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a white unto light unto my path. The word of God is pure. Pure, you know, pure, uh, it's purified seven times. It's it is uh, that verse in 19, Psalm 19 that talks about what the word of God is, but it it's just like all of a sudden He's explaining that, he says, do you want to see God showing up in your life on a daily basis? And fortunately, I'm seeing that. Like, I mean, today again, I had another encounter with um, Virginia's younger brother. Had a nice talk with him. I think he's going to come to my Bible study. Her husband contacted me tonight. He wants to come to the Bible study, and I'm so thankful. And I think, you know, he's talking about the pure in heart will see God. What does that mean? That isn't when we get to heaven. He's like, that's now. You will see God. And I'm like, well, I knew this. But he explained it in a way that he's like, God will manifest. He will disclose the same words I've been using to describe what he says in Matthew or in John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. My father will love the one who loves me and I too will love him and show myself to him. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And what that means is, They'll see his hand at work. They'll see indescribable um, experiences with him. They'll see him doing things through them. And so what I'm, what I'm beginning to understand from that is I've often said that the more I have obeyed God, the more I've seen him show up in my heart. And what I really am realizing is that one of the main reasons why Jesus is probably telling me to learn as much of his word and get it in my heart. He says, not just reading it. Stanley says, it isn't just reading it. It's getting it in your heart so you can obey it. And what's the point of obeying it? To not sin against God. So an example would be, if you take a place of honor when you go to a wedding banquet and you walk up and take a place of honor, you're sinning against God because you're violating one of Jesus' commands. If you, you know, do not put his word out there. If you are not sharing his word, you're essentially sinning against God because you're violating one of his commands. If you are being stingy and when somebody asks you to borrow money, you say no to him, you're essentially sinning against God. If you, you know, look at a woman lustfully, you're sinning against God. And so that's going to grieve and quench the spirit, which is going to limit what God can do in your life. So the point of obeying is to see God show up and work, not only to experience more of His presence, but the tremendous joy comes from seeing God work through your life into the hearts and minds of other people. And I've 
been seeing all this fruit. I'm so thankful. It, it actually just gives me, I'm so blessed right now to think about this, to, to realize that God really is blessing me in a big way by producing fruit through my life. Even though my circumstances still haven't been any different, God is blessing me. And the more I obey His Word, the more I memorize His Word, the less I will sin against Him, the more of His presence I will see, and the more fruit I will produce in my life. It's that simple. So, for example, let's say that I memorize 75 of the top 93. That leaves 18 scriptures remaining that I may be in violation of, which would, which would essentially hamper the Word of God, hamper Christ from showing up in my life. Hence the reason why people that have been walking with the Lord for so long, continuing to practice and memorize His Word, are seeing greater and greater amounts of fruit, greater amounts of fruit presence, greater amounts of God's working in their life. This is making sense to me in a way that is incredible. And I want to teach this message. I want to help people to get this. This is just awesome. Awesome, awesome. Blessed are the pure in heart. As I was thinking about this and memorizing God's word, I came in and it was 8-11. Pulling on my driveway, 8-11, finished the work. And so God courteously reminding me, making clear to me the path chosen for me. And now I have this like new motivation. All of a sudden, instead of it just being about me memorizing the word so I can just turn around and teach it or share, it's being able to have it in my heart. I don't know why I haven't seen this like this as clearly before. I mean, I know most of the scriptures and I know that I'm either in or outside on most of them. I'm I'm, I'm actually inside, I would think, most of them. But I might imagine that God is wanting me to put more into practice. And by me wanting, by me doing that, he will be able to produce more fruit in my life. I don't know, this is just such a blessing. Such a blessing. Just a neat, neat message for me to, to, to figure out there. I just had one of the most bizarre and I don't even know the word to describe it, disheartening encounters I've ever had on this mountain. I mean, wow, this was so weird. I got called up to come to the mountain today. It's 25 degrees. I've just reached almost the top. And on my way up, I pulled into the parking lot and noticed there was only one car in the whole parking lot. I'm walking up. I get to kind of where the waterfall places in the summer, the cavey area, I see what looks like a bear. It's this giant black dog, and it's like some kind of a Russian-bred bear. It's just this weird giant dog. And I start to talk to the guy about this dog. He's an older man. He's probably in his 70s, I'd say late 60s, early 70s. His name is Jack. And we start talking, and one thing leads to another, and I find out he's in the military, was in the military 23 years. 
And then he said, well, you know, it's a lot different today than it was back in the day and how they do it today. And then that led into his disgruntles, disgruntlement with the way the military is operating today in the world and how we're basically like little sheep and we're no longer a world power to be reckoned with and we just allow these Muslims to take over and trade us one body for another. So he's sharing me with all this and then of course he gives me an example and he uses the F word and it, uh, he's, a, he's a West Point graduate. So I was thinking to myself, man, this guy's top guy and stuff, but it sounded so bad for him to be talking like that. But I, I just, I started to pray and I'm like, okay, God, I know we're, we're going to have an encounter here. And so the guy, I start trying to move the conversation into God. I was just listening to the spirit. I'm on how do I bring God into this conversation about politics and all that. And so I opened up by sharing, um, that I, I saw the way God would do wars in the Old Testament. I said, you know, I'm a conservative Christian. And I said, I understand the, the confusion about, you know, some people say it should be done this way and some people say it should be done this way and yet we look in the Bible and the Old Testament, it was done this way. And so there, I can see there's a lot of confusion about war and what's our position to be and all of that. And so I kind of let the cat out of the bag there that I was... a you know, a Christian. And so one thing led to another. And he said, you know, you may have a hard time understanding this. He said, but he said, I'm an agnostic atheist who loves Christmas. He's like, I love all the Christmas music and I play it in my house and I believe everybody should have the right to worship how they want. And I knew I was like, this is awesome. Here's the third atheist in like three months that God has had me run into up on the mountain. He started to tell me this story and I, I he, he wanted to go a different way. And I said, I said, I'm very intrigued by this, Jack. I said, tell me how you became an atheist. And he said, well, I grew up Episcopal. And so here it is again. Another person who grew up in the church. And I know that God gave me this experience. He's teaching me. God is teaching me so much about why non-believers don't believe and what happens to them. And he basically said... He went to West Point with a friend. The buddy had a brother who was paralyzed, bad, in a real bad shape. So the family already had this huge burden of taking care of the child in the the wheelchair. And he said him and his buddy were in, I guess they were somewhere, his buddy was somewhere um, on duty or or in in station somewhere or what have you. he got stuck somewhere and couldn't get up and a guy handed him the end, end of his gun, to, 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 to the, the machine gun, to grab onto to pull up and the, the kid left his finger on the trigger. And so when the guy pulled on the gun, it pulled his finger back and shot him and killed him. So now that family that had the son in the wheelchair just lost their other son to a machine gun accident. And at this point... He said, you know, if that's the kind of price you have to pay, he says, I got some questions for God. And he says, if that's the kind of price you got to pay to get in the pearly gates, I'm not so sure I want to go. He says, that family didn't deserve that. And as he said that, he took his glove off and reached out and shucked my hand and didn't say a word and turned and left. 
This was after nearly a 15-minute conversation. He was so overcome with emotion. He couldn't say another word. He turned around and left. He just started walking down the hill, and I stood there just... And I just was shocked. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. And I mean, it was just like a movie scene. I'm standing there looking at this guy going, is he just going to keep walking like this? He was so overcome with grief. And all I could say is, God bless you, Jack. And so now I'm going to pray for Jack. But I so bad wanted to be able to help him understand. Man, I wish I would have had my card on me to give it to him. You know, I mean, I missed, but I felt like I wasn't supposed to try too hard. And so I thought, well, maybe God is just teaching me this. He's just opening my eyes. But man, it breaks my heart to see this man who was kind of hardened. And then for him to just turn into putty over his best friend's, the loss of his best friend and what that family had to go through. And then to say, I'm not so sure I want to be going to those pearly gates if that's the kind of God he is. And I just thought, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, you know, so there it is that when bad things happen, people begin to believe that God is not good. People believe that God is not good. They allow, you know, like I can't say that the devil did that. That would have just been an accident. That would have just been an accident that happened. Just that the mistakes that are made in this world we live in. And that the guy got shot by the machine gun. And maybe the, the, the you know, uh, the wheelchair thing is also. I wish I could remember what his last name is so I could try to find him again and send him my email. I just knew that right then with him walking away, I just needed to let him go. But I feel like, man, I need to show him my story. <sighs> At least I can pray for him and God can take care of him. At least he... He got touched on the nerve, but he was so overcome with emotion, he didn't want to just stand there and keep talking. It just cut him up. Oh, man, oh, man. Maybe that is one of the reasons. This is so interesting how I just did these messages the other day about, is God only good when our circumstances are good? Oh, man. This is why people need understanding. Wow. It's 9.51 on November 19th, 2014. This morning during my reading time, I ended up getting on my knees twice and I told the father that I trusted him for Laura and I trusted him for the children. I particularly have thought a lot about my kids this morning because I'm not hearing anything back at all from my ex-wife and she's ignoring my emails She's ignoring my texts, and I know that she wants me to not be able to see my kids again. She's trying to prove to the kids that I do not want to be in their life, that I'm some kind of a monster loser. And so she, using the advantage that she has, because I have not been able to pay child support for so long, and I've just now sent my first partial payment two weeks ago, she's using that as leverage, I'm sure, that she realizes, what am I going to do, go to the court? So she's really just breaking my heart about that. And I've been doing everything I can to trust God and to ask Him to help me. And so this morning I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I'm asking you to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe you. God, I believe you. 
I'm waiting for you. Please help me, God. And please, I asked you, I said, Lord, please help me refresh my spirit. Show me that you're still with me, God. I said, and I know that you are, but show me, God, that you're still with me and doing good to me. And I just went and checked my email. I listened to a message by Chip Ingram, finished my breakfast, see my email. I just got a new order, first time ever for, for multiple books. A person ordered four books and I'm just so blessed by that. And it turns out it's the guy, Scott Campbell, the car dealer, who gave me the Toyota. That gave me the Toyota Prius that my parents now own because they bought from me. So that was just so encouraging to me. So encouraging to me to to see that. And um, anyhow, I am very, very happy about that. And that was just such a blessing to me. The other interesting thing that's happened is that there I've seen 919 twice this morning. I saw it when I was fiddling with my phone to get a message to come up and then that guy's order came in at 919. So I saw nine I haven't been seeing him for for a while. But I saw 919 yesterday morning two 525s and then today 919 and I thought I wondered if what God was showing me about the 919s yesterday was for me to not tell Carrie, okay, well, since you're ignoring me, I guess I'll be there to pick up the kids on Thanksgiving to try to force her hand to say, I'm refusing to let you come see them because she's just ignoring me. And so I'm wondering what God's doing. And I'm wondering, is it the videos? I mean, is God not wanting me to put the videos out? What is it? I'm still a little confused on why he's shown it to me so much. So I'm just going to continue to trust and wait and believe that God is going to help me know. It's 10.38 on the 21st of November, 2014. I'm, I'm headed up the mountain right now, and I want to capture this message. I want to capture this recording. I am fighting for my faith right now. I can feel it. It's. I never want to forget these moments because these are real. A lot of people only see me when I'm feeling strong and filled with the Spirit and being used to encourage them or exhort them and man today I am fighting the fight I've been in a couple of days honestly this last couple of weeks with the Laura thing and last night I was at my parents house and my mom has a new friend named Laura and she mentions her often and every time she does I have this, like, just, I don't know how you would describe it, a shooting awareness that goes through my soul as I think about my Laura. And so last night, something prompted me to, because I have a new phone, and I don't have those Facebook pictures of Laura anymore on my new phone, I uh, I felt prompted to Google her picture to grab one of her pictures and I noticed that she has a new picture and it was such a beautiful just oh she's so beautiful and so I grabbed the picture and noticed it was coming from a website and I read it and I went to the website and discovered that she started her own new business with a partner incidentally a lady I met one time And uh, I got up this morning and 
I wanted to look at that website because I didn't look at it last night, and so I did, and I just, I started having these feelings of doubt and inferiority come upon me, and I looked at, you know, where I'm at in my life right now. God is using me, there's no doubt, in the lives of other people, but my circumstances are still so humble. I read in James this morning where I ought to take pride in my high position as a result of that. But the message that I'm getting is you're waiting in vain. I mean, you're waiting in vain. And I want so bad to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. To see it now. Not just when I go to heaven, but to see God do some of the things that Men like Charles Stanley says he does, and that people in the Bible declare he does, and that people all over the world have declared he's done. And all of the good things in my life, my children, Laura, fruit, and finances, are being held back. And I just told the Lord this morning on my way up here, I said, Father, I want to believe you. I'm fighting. I'm fighting, and this is why it's called fighting the good fight of faith and being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And there's so many times when I could just say, and I haven't had these moments in a while, but of recently I could just, I feel these thoughts wanting me to agree with them. Laura is too good for you. She has her life all together. She has a successful business. You have nothing. What is she going to want to have to do with you? Yeah, you may be a godly man. Yeah, you may be being used to change people's lives. But what do you have in the way of everyday circumstances that remotely show that God is with you in such a way that she would even be honored to be with you? I think to myself how how humiliated it must be for her to... Imagine if we were together. What is she going to say when people ask, well, what does your boyfriend do? Oh, well, he has a has a website and a book. He hasn't sold very many of them. And, well, he changes people's lives. He doesn't make enough money to pay his child support yet. But he's working on it. And he's trusting God. And he's a good man. I don't... I don't mean to be sounding... Condescending to... What God may have for a season in my life. But I'm realizing... I'm, I'm having these thoughts of... Feeling completely inadequate. And like I've completely waited for nothing. I'm having these doubts like, is God good? I'm having these full-on moments where I'm still wrestling. I can feel it. I'm not... I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want anybody to interpret this wrong. My kids, I know who will listen to these one day. I'm not living in doubt. But I'm having these moments of just... It's like thoughts coming to me into my head wanting to take root that say... God is not going to come through for you like you think by you sitting around waiting for Him and obeying for Him and suffering like this. You need to take the bull by the horns and you need to make it happen in your life. There are things you could do to change your circumstances. You could contact Laura. You could get a job. You could start doing video work. You could start taking pictures. You could do all kinds of things to start. And there are times when I want to do that and I'm I'm wondering now if this is why God has been showing me 919 and 525 
several times a day, each day for the last three or four days. My ex-wife is not returning any texts or any emails from me at all about seeing the kids. So unless God intervenes, once again, I am not going to be able to see my kids for the holiday. Now we'll be talking about a year and a half since I have seen my since I have seen my children. And uh, you know, there's sometimes when I just think to myself, I've had enough. There's sometimes when I honestly say, I've had enough. And I hate it that I'm feeling this way. I hate it because I don't want to quit. But man, I feel like, I sometimes feel like I just want to quit. Michael Commentary. Brothers and sisters, may I just please praise God and point out to you, if you haven't already noticed, uh, maybe some of you have, if you're actually listening to Trusting God in the Wilderness, simultaneously, if you're following, I will come forth as Gold Series. Are you able to hear the difference in how Brother Michael is responding to these deep, dark, painful, fiery trials in my life six years ago? compared to how I'm handling even greater trials, the loss of my wife and my property and potentially my home, all within a 24-hour period. Are you able to hear the dramatic difference in these recordings on how I'm handling it then versus how I'm handling it now? More importantly, are you able to see the difference in the abundant peace and grace of God? You see, if you and I have a comment exchange via email or uh, maybe on YouTube or what have you, many times my prayer in writing to you in that comment is, may the peace and grace of Christ be yours in abundance. And you have no idea, perhaps, what I'm speaking is one of the greatest things anybody could speak over you. This is what you hear me having, and I will come forth as gold. I'm in possession of this deep grace penetrating hope of God that rises above any and all loss, any and all shattered dreams, any and all disappointments, any and all losses, and any and all suffering. It is absolutely incredible. This is what God has been working into me all these years. You're getting a little bit of an unfair uh, vantage point here where you're able to look back six years ago and see where I was at and then fast forward you can now see what has the Lord done in Michael since that six years you should be growing every single year becoming more like Christ becoming stronger in his grace becoming more obedient to his spirit and as you can see the principles are the same in my life I'm still believing God back six years ago just like I am now I still every once in a while even have that wavering faith now that I did then. But what you'll hear is I have so much stronger of a trust in the sovereign hand of God, so much more trust in the sanctified suffering, so much more of an understanding of how secured and arranged my life is in every part and how understanding that my father is loving and totally in control. I have no worries about anything. He's keeping me. Now, I'm not doing this by myself. He's keeping me today in such wonderful grace in the face of even greater suffering than I was going through then because there is nothing. I say this before Father in heaven, 
And I say this before all the angels and the witnesses and my family and people who know me, even Tyler, knows there's nothing more valuable to me on this planet than my wife. Nothing. The Bible commands me to love her so much, he commands me to give my life up for her. It doesn't say anywhere in scripture, love your children so much like Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself up for them. Did you ever notice that? It doesn't say that about any other relationship. It doesn't say to give your life up for your parents. It says and commands men, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5.25 and gave himself up for her. Think about that. So here is the greatest, and, and think about it, the first thing that God said was wrong in this whole earth that he created. I want you to think about this. The first thing that God Almighty said was wrong with the new earth he had created was, it is not good for man to be alone. I shall make a suitable helper for him. If you'll hang in with me at the I Will Come Forth as Gold series, you're going to understand some really deep things God's been showing me about this that are incredible, that apply to you and I as the bride of Christ for Jesus Christ. So please stand there. I just wanted to point out a praise to God. What a difference six years of walking with God makes. No one who hopes in him will ever be put to shame. I think of 1 Peter 5.10. And after you've suffered a little while, he himself will strengthen you making you strong, firm, and steadfast. What a difference. What a blessing to God that he can give you this faith to where I can now say truly that, and God is seeing truly that in Michael's life, his hope is indeed on things in heaven, that I can take away the very things that are most precious. I can even take away his spouse that I gave to him such that I will look at that and say, it's not good for Michael to be alone, but because I have a good purpose in it, and because I'm testing Michael in this way, I can now see Michael's thoughts and hope is totally in me, the giver, not the gift, and his mind is truly indeed set on things above. It's taken years of God constantly working this into me. Perhaps many people get there sooner than I do. But brothers and sisters, I just want to praise the Lord and pay attention and notice this is spiritual growth. This is evidence that everything I'm telling you, everything in the word of God is absolutely true. Romans 5, 17, how much more am I now reigning in this life through the grace given to me in Jesus Christ? How much more than what death reigned in my life beforehand, but by Jesus Christ, how much more by his grace am I reigning in this life? You too, should be reigning in your life if you're not already. And whatever you're reigning over now, it should be that next year and the year after that and the year after that, God willing, you would be reigning even more over all of the people, persecutions, sufferings, disappointments, unmet expectations, troubles, spirits, and difficult things that happen in your life. You should be able to, by the grace of Christ, to rule and reign over them to the praise of God. End of commentary. These moments don't last long and I fight through them with God's help and I cry out to him, which is probably why he called me up here this morning. But, man, I have waited so long. I told my parents last night about what's going on with the kids and I just started to weep and weep and weep. And I said, I, I told God, show me one person around me that's obeying you like I am. And then show me one person around me that's suffering like I am for so long. I just keep hearing those words of A.W. Tozer ringing in my head that 
the more obedient you are, the more you will suffer. The more obedient a person is, the more they suffer. Because God will ask you to do things that cut against who you are. And this is part of dying to yourself. The thing that's made it so hard for me is that God gave me these promises. I mean, if I, if God just said, look, Michael, this is the way it's always going to be for the rest of your life. You're going to be alone. You're going to have bumps in the roads, a little bitty highs and lows from being able to help people out along the way. But you're not going to see any extraordinary fruit. You're not going to see any extraordinary good blessings in your life. I think I'd be okay with that. But this, this Laura thing, because period in the story, I don't care how it sounds to anybody. She is the biggest earthly desire of my heart. Everybody has desires of their heart and some are greater than others and my desire for a godly wife I mean even God himself said when he made Adam he saw the first thing he saw that wasn't good was that Adam was alone and so I have this tremendous desire to be to have a good godly wife to enjoy all the benefits of a godly relationship and the fact is is that I feel like God went out of his way to tell me you know I'm just thinking about Abraham and Isaac right now God went out of his way to tell Abraham not Abraham and Isaac but Abraham and and Sarah that they would have this child I mean he made it very clear in fact he even came back through Jesus and said I tell you we will return to you in a year and you will be with child and or that I'll come back in a year and you'll be with child and I think that what I'm understanding is the the pain and the work of faith happens in the face of a promise that has yet to happen and so this pain and frustration I'm feeling I know it's working things out of me I know it's creating greater levels of character development greater levels of strength in my faith I know I'm fighting through this and I know that with God's help, I can already feel the peace settling in my heart that I will fight through this. But man, there are absolute times and I guess it's when I'm putting my eyes off of Jesus Christ and off of His promises because so often you want to look back on the promise and see, has has there been any progress made? Is there anything new that I can say, yes, this is going to happen? And with the case of Laura, there's nothing. And You know, the other day my mom threw out the whole... Michael, I was praying about this the other day. I'm thinking about this. And she's like, do you think there's any chance at all that God may have used Laura as a placeholder, you know, to to give you something to hold on to for a while until the one that he wants you to have comes across your path? And I said, Mom, Larry and Trish asked the same thing. And I, I said, I posed that same. I, I was humble enough to consider that. But I said, I have to tell you, my faith says absolutely not. And I said, because I'm in love with Laura, number one. I would have to grieve. I told the father, Lord, I'll have to grieve the loss of Laura. Laura might hear something like this and freak out and go, what are you, some kind of a nut? I don't care. Because this is just, (laughs) it's not that I don't care what she thinks, but the fact of the matter is, is that I have enough evidence that God has said to me over and over, she will be the one. And I think that if I can hang in there in faith, God will prove it. That he'll bring she and I across our paths in such a way that is only explainable by him. That, that, that there'll never be a doubt in Laura's mind. She won't have to think I was some kind of a spiritual stalker. That she'll just know that God, through the purposes of working in my character and faith, gave me a promise for her. And then now said, you're going to need to wait. 
and you're going to need to trust me. I was sitting there looking at her website this morning, this new website, and her new picture, which is just so beautiful, so sweet and kind behind her eyes. And I'm looking at that, and then I look at uh, her about her page, and there's her phone number. And I'm thinking to myself, it's got to be a cell phone number, and I'm thinking to myself, well, how easy would that be? But I tell you, man, I thought, man, it's right there. Just take the phone number and call her. And just tell her what's been going on and ask her if she'll finally have coffee with you. And it comes down to, I want to obey God. I don't want to lose what God is doing in my life. I don't want to disappoint God. Yes, I want to have Laura into my life, but I don't want to disappoint God. And I don't want to get ahead of Him. I don't want to manipulate the circumstances by putting my own hands on it. And yes, maybe I could get her to have coffee with me. But then I would never have any assurance that it was something that God did. It's always something that I, quote, manipulated or sold my way in. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That's what I did with my ex-wife, and it turned out to be a disaster. I mean, I was 20 years old, 19, 20 years old, and just what a disaster because I manipulated using my own strength to make something happen that I wanted to happen instead of waiting for God and asking God. But man, there are moments of just terror where I think about Laura having this, I just see scenes of her having this big busy life and not even remotely having time for somebody like me in her life and, you know, just, just doubts, you know, like she's probably already dating somebody and, and, uh, nevertheless, that's why this is called a fight. I feel those thoughts. And then I ask myself, okay, where are those thoughts coming from? And here's, here's probably the most important point that I want to capture in all this is that when I have these thoughts, I'm having to ask myself, okay, where are these coming from? And I also know that I very well may be very, I may be very close to Laura. I mean, as this, at this point, God could introduce her to me at any time. God could bring her across my path any day I go to Starbucks. She could be there. Or anywhere I go, she could be there. It could be that it's very close and I'm at the very tail end and Satan is desperately trying to get me to to, to fade off and pull my foot off the base waiting for God to throw the pitch. And I have to say to myself, am I going to believe what I feel or am I going to believe my faith? And I'm not having faith in faith. I'm having faith in, and here's, here's the thing, is that I have evidence enough. Now, again, I have to decide whether or not I believe the evidence is from God. I have to, it isn't like God showed up in person, in flesh, and spoke to me and said, Michael, Laura is going to be your wife one day. It's going to take you a long time to get to her. You're going to have to wait. Just trust me. But, Michael, I promise. I don't have that kind of evidence where God showed up, manifested himself to me that way. What I have is how God has manifested his, his words to me and His promise to me through this whole 212, 955, 311, and 1001 phenomenon, primarily the 212 thing. You know, you ask yourself, when is the wait going to end, right? Like, how do you know that what you're believing for is really going to come true or if you're just wasting precious time that you could be having with somebody else in your life? You, you know, I mean, it's like you just realize this could go on for how long? However long God wants it to go on. 
and, and, and you have to decide, and I'm trying to decide every day for 700 and some odd days over, you know, two years and three months now. I'm choosing to say no. And you know what, man, I was sitting in Starbucks yesterday. I'm looking out the window. I look up for, for my work and who's standing outside the window? She's standing right there in her little business attire, walking back and forth, talking on the telephone right in front of me. And I just knew I was like, it was like Satan saying, you're waiting for something that's never going to happen. And I, I had the, I had the temptation thought you ought to just run after. I mean, having something's better than having nothing. I literally heard that thought in my head. And then I'm, I shook myself loose. I mean, literally said, no, no, no. And I just think about how hard it is to wait. And these moments are hard. Here I am right now just walking on a trail, trying to talk out my thoughts, capture them so that I can get them out of my heart, out of my head, into this phone, and then have clear head to pray and ask God to again, Lord, sustain me. God, please encourage me in my spirit. Help me to continue to wait for Laura, God. Tomorrow is 11-22. I saw it yesterday at my parents' house when we were talking about Laura. I come in from the hot tub praying about Laura at 7-11. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids when they ask, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? Tomorrow's 11-22. Mark 11-22. Have faith in God Jesus answered I am telling you God has stretched my faith so much farther than I ever thought he would or than I ever thought it could I mean I think about how much long ago I thought for sure Laura would be in my life by now and the waiting is serving to help me see how foolish that kind of thinking was how I was not ready. I think that God helping me to wait this long has built some of the strongest character. I mean, I should take, as the Bible says, pride in my humble circumstances and the fact that God has given me this amazing, beautiful, wonderful promise to give me the desire of my heart. And I don't know enough about her to know if she might be the most satisfying or dissatisfying creature on the planet and as, as it relates to finding a spouse for me, somebody that would work for me. I don't know. I'm trusting God. I'm trusting that the kindness and the sweetness and the humility that I saw in her, her outward beauty was amazing, but more amazing was that it was equaled by the sweetness and the kindness. The outer beauty will fade. What I saw inside of her is what is the most attractive to me. And I just, I just think to myself, this journey of faith, of believing for a woman that I met basically, you know, one time and then ran into two other times and it was, there was nothing there to, to, to make even mention of, but I'm waiting in faith and it's hard. It's like lifting super hard weights. It's hard. There's moments where I just feel like quitting. Like you feel like just setting the bar down and going, I can't do it today. It's probably like days that you feel like, you know, you you, you don't want to go to the gym. You don't want to work out. You just don't feel it. 
And there's days like that where I'm just, then there's days where I'm strong and content. I've had a couple of days where I've just been content. And then it's like back on me, man, seeing her website and seeing her picture. I try not to look at her picture very often, maybe once every couple of weeks. Because it just, it almost makes me, instead I just pray for her. And I don't want to obsess about her, which I haven't. Except for in moments like now where, you know, you feel in that pull of you ought to just quit. And there's more than that. It's even just thoughts about the kids where it's almost like the warfare is you ought to quit on the idea that God is good and that He's going to bring any goodness into your life. You have no proof of that and you never will. You'll get good on the other side of heaven, but don't expect God to give you anything good in the here and now. I, I, I hear that sometimes. It's terrible. It's terrible. And I want so bad to see God come through for these promises about Laura and about my children and about fruit and ministry and finances because I want to be able to declare God's faithfulness to other people. I want people to be able to say, yes, it, I paid a huge price in the here and now to see this kind of goodness from the Lord. But this is what anybody can have if they'll pay that price. And believe Him. And then that's only a taste of what's to come in heaven. So, anyhow, I feel better getting this out. But there's no doubt I just have these overwhelming moments where it's just like, just quit. Just quit. Just give up. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to keep on believing and trusting God.